What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Better Not Bitter podcast. Today, we have another special conversation and another special guest. But before we get into that, go ahead, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend to tell a friend, all those wonderful things. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you the man of the hour, Kiwan Amy. And he's going to introduce it. He's going to introduce himself. Hey, hey, hey. How you doing, Maya? Good, fam. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's finally here. I mean, I know last time I was supposed to have it done on Friday, but we have rescheduled. Um, yeah. Some storms coming this way. You know that North Carolina weather. It, it, it really does be like that. It's crazy. Literally, we had a tornado touchdown over here in Mevin in my Ooh. neighborhood. I'm glad y'all are safe. I know. It's crazy. So, yeah, yeah, we're we're finally here, though. Yo, so I'm glad that we're finally able to do a collaboration because we've talked about it for a while now. Um, And I'm excited. You know, you just recently published a book, which I read, bought and read. Y'all should check it out. The link is in the description as of right now. Uh, So definitely buy that. It's on Audible as well as Amazon. Um, and I read it and I found it to be just like a really good depiction of not only your personality, but your story and the way that you brought people into your story was very like unique to you, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm curious to know, like what, what started the process of you putting your story into a book in the first place? Um, Okay, first off, thank you for your support, and uh, I appreciate you reading the book. No um, problem. But secondly, yeah, uh, I've had so many people ever since, you know, I had this accident and me starting to speak because I'm also a most motivational speaker. So mm-hmm. ever since I've been, you know, doing speaking gigs and even talking to people one-on-one, they're like, man, you, you need to write a book. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I should. And I would always say that, you know for the longest time. And I had my motorcycle accident back in 2017. So it's been over four years now. Um, and, you know, everybody say, yeah, man, you need to write a book. Yeah, man, you need to write a book. Yeah, I think I should. Yeah, I think I should. <laughs> and finally, you know, um, like today, when I was uh, coming home, somebody had asked me about the book and I was like, hey, well, how long have you written, been writing? And I said, well, physically, I started back in September of 2020. And I finished around, I don't know, maybe March of 2021. But together, all together, I've probably been writing this book since I had the accident four years ago. You know, been putting my story together every piece by piece since this accident occurred. Um, so it was what what made me want to write it was not only was it to tell the world about what happened and give people a little insight of how I dealt with it and how I overcame, but also to release. Like it was like a releasing mechanism versus some, you know, some people like to have their private journals. I made this a public journal and my jot, you know, I jotted down some information, just little stuff. I mean, granted, it seems major to a lot of people. And even my family says it made them relive that day all over again. And, uh, you know, but it was one of those things that I was definitely glad that I did because it helped me. Um, so yeah, it, it was a great, it was a great thing to do for me. That's awesome. As I was reading, um, 
I made some notes because when I read, I like to read actively, whether it's mm -hmm. someone's autobiography or whatever it is, I like to actively read. Okay. And some of the things that stood out to me was one, your humor. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there were some parts in there. I was like, oh, he threw humor in there. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Also the fact that the way that you structured the book each chapter is like an open letter to the readers and you invite them in to kind of not only join the journey, but you provide life lessons at the end of each chapter. Tell me uh, about your purpose for structuring the book like that. If I have to be 100% honest with you, and mm -hmm. I believe you will be the first person I've told this to, um, mm -hmm. as far as like interview wise, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the first chapter Deuce Five mm -hmm. um, was supposed to be that way. Mm. Not all of them. Wow. <laughs> so the, the way that turned out was the editor who I had editing my book, he mm -hmm. kept doing it. And I was like, dude, are you not paying attention to something like that? was supposed to be for the first time. What are you doing? <laughs> and so he was like, no, dude, I, I think this, it'll turn out great like this because of the way you wrote the book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, I'll go with it. <laughs> you know, yeah. gave, I gave him a look and everything. I raised my eyebrow. Uh, I was like, I'll go with it. But anyway, and you would not believe how much positive feedback I have gotten about the letter format. Yeah. People, people on Amazon, you know, writing their reviews saying, oh, I just love the way he writes uh, letters and for every chapter, it's almost like you're having a cup of coffee with him and he's talking to you about his, you know, excursion and his experience with this whole motorcycle accident. Yeah. And, you know, I've gotten so much great feedback about that. And, and I couldn't be more proud that I stuck with that format. Mm -hmm. Because at first I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I would like this, you know, mm -hmm. I've never seen a book like that, you know. And yeah. so why not be different? Why not be unique? Um, and I heard one of my friends uh, that I've met on uh, Clubhouse, um, shout out to Jasmine Duffy. Uh, she said, you know, people look at people with disabilities as disabled, but, mm -hmm. they, but they should look at us as differently abled. And I was like, oh, I got to use that. <laughs> you know, and, and to me, it means so much more because I don't see myself as disabled because I feel like I do so much. You know, even my best friend, God rest his soul, just passed away. Um, he even used to call me Superman because I was always doing something. I was either writing a book, uh, you know, answering a door when he came over and he thinking somebody else is at the house. And I'm like, no, nah, it's just me here. And he's like, what? You're doing all this stuff by yourself? You know, stuff like that. I'm 100% visually impaired, blind, okay? I am blind. <laughs> and I love to tell it people like that. You know, I just make it plain. I am blind. Okay. And so, you know, things like that really stuck out for me. Um, people who would definitely, you know, just make notice of things such as you like saying how you like that letter format. Um, I know you guys who can see probably see me wiping my eye. Mm -hmm. For those who are listening, um, I've, I was just wiping my eye because during the accident, my bottom um, if you read the book, the bottom portion of my eyelid on my right eye was torn off during the accident. And that caused so many different problems on that right eye. Mm. And a runny eye is one of them. 
Mm-hmm. I've had three surgeries on that eye and still no no complete fix. It just slowed it down. <laughs> to be wow. Uh, but yeah, that's just a little bit about it. But yeah, yeah. I hope you like that letter format though. Yeah, I really did. Like, first of all, you know, like as a writer, you know, get into like nerd mode. As a writer, <laughs> as a writer, I was like, oh, this is different one, yeah. but it's a good different. It's like you've already begun the process of setting the tone for your writing style. So if you decide or when you decide to write future books, right. when people pick it up, they're going to know, oh, this is Kiwan. Like, no yeah, mistake yeah. about it. Definitely. So, yeah, um, we're going to get into some of the details in a second, but I want to <laughs> highlight the book. Um, something that you said in the book really stood out to me. And you said that you had the mindset when it came to the injuries that you went through and, and, you know, losing your vision that because you knew the rehabilitation process was going to be long, Mm -hmm. you began with the end in mind and that's what helped you get through it. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Definitely. Um, shout out to Miss Janet Perez for her, uh, you know, wisdom and leading me to these different books that allowed me to, you know, if you think certain different ways, but, I always used to kind of do this before I met her, but that actually showed me, you know, why I used to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, beginning with the end in mind, uh, for those who don't know really what that means, it is kind of self-explanatory, but to be more elaborative, um, you you basically are, try- you know your goal. Your goal is to get back on your feet. Your goal is to get back to life. Your goal is to get back to living. And what you have to do is say, okay, I know what my goal is. What's the next step to get to that goal? What am I doing to obtain that goal? What do I have to do to literally reach out and grab it? Okay. And that's the biggest thing you could ever want to do is get back to your life. Um, and especially with something as traumatic as this, there was, I've never experienced anything more traumatic in my life, um, mm. you know, and this was just another test, another test of time, another test of Kiwan's faith. Another test of Kiwan, are you going to stand strong or are you going to give in to to the depression, to, you know, the the turmoil, to the doubt, to the naysayers, everybody, anything, you know, and my choice was to stand up, Hmm. be strong, you know, and and I'm glad I did, because as you can see, I'm doing great things. Um, (laughs) So uh, it's just one of those things, like literally, I was just like. I, I'm ne- I've never, you know, known for myself to just give up on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was, you know, I've I've put things down before, like you know, okay, this might not be the right time to do this, like something like that. But I've never just given up on it, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what it was. That's what it really was. That's awesome. <laughs> now, for those who don't know Kiwan and who haven't read his book. Could you do us a favor, bro, and give us a synopsis of your testimony as long as as much or as long as you want to give? Yeah, definitely. For sure. I love uh, talking about it. Uh, First off, for those who don't know, the book is called Don't Focus on Why Me? Um, From Motorcycle Accident to Miracle is my subtitle. Yes, it is written by me. Um, The cover for those who can see it. I took those photos. Um, mm. Because I used to be a photographer, and uh, the the picture I guess you say the picture of the backdrop, which is like a you know trees, a, like a little dock slash pier 
I'm holding it up for the viewers. Yeah, right now. yeah. And then the the motorcycle in the in the middle is the actual motorcycle I had owned and wrecked on. Mm. Uh, so that is the actual motorcycle, not like somebody's bike you found on the internet. No, that was mine. Um, wow. That picture was of Jordan Lake, the lake that I leave that I'm leaving from in the book mm. here in North Carolina. And I literally took pictures of that place right before I had the accident. Um, it is kind of interesting to say the least. But, yeah, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for those the cover designer because they did a great job. Uh, with what I wanted um, because I asked them to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, now getting a, a little bit into the book and what it's about is May 5th, 2017, before the accident, I was in the Air Force Reserves as an in-flight refueling specialist. And I was also an instructor. So I was able to teach that. And what that job entails is you refuel planes Okay, I understand. Yeah, okay, I refueled planes. No, but I refueled planes while still flying. <laughs> so while they're in the middle of the air, I am refueling them from the airplane I am in, and they're pulling up to me as if I'm a gas station flying around in the air. So whether it was a fighter, bomber, cargo plane, you name it, you know, um, they would pull up to us, you know, schedule it, pull up to us, we offload the fuel that they needed. For them to continue on with their mission um, that was what i did and i was also like i said an instructor so i taught it as well um, the other thing i did was i was in school full-time at devry university studying computer information systems um, and i was planning on getting my four-year degree so that i could commission in the air force and become a pilot um, because i also wanted to fly i mean i did pretty good in the simulator but you can't be a pilot unless you have a degree um, so I was doing that. And then I had also that same year, 2017, January 3rd, I launched my first business. And I say first because I now, you know, well, yeah, I, I guess you consider now having multiple. Um, but it was called Kiwi Enterprise. Uh, and that was where I did the website design and management, social media marketing, as well as the photography, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, so That was what I was doing May 5th before the accident. Now, May 5th, around 2 p.m., after the accident occurred, where this guy pulled out in front of me, um, and that was like lights out right there because I never saw again after that accident um, as far as physically. Uh, So, yeah, he pulled out in front of me, and I always tell this story, and it's in my book as well, but I say I had three options. I could go right and go into the trees. I could go left and go into oncoming traffic. Or I could do like what happened and hit him. And I'm pretty sure you guys understand what happened. I hit him because I I had no really true options of what to do or what I could do. Because motorcycles don't just stop on a dime like everybody thinks they are. Just because they're small does not mean they stop quick. They actually do the opposite because they don't have that much surface area on the tires um, for the bike to stop. And if you press that front brake down hard, you're going flying anyway. So either way, you're going to fly and not the way you want. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, you know, like I said, I had the accident. Uh, I was in critical condition. Um, 
it was so bad that they had to life flight me to UNC hospital where I spent the next two months. Um, so I was in the hospital, of course, doing my rehab. The first month I know nothing of. Um, so from May 5th until June the 6th is when I came out of my medically induced coma and uh, from all the surgeries they did on me. And, uh, you know, I went from there to rehab, started to do a bunch of rehab, occupational therapy, and um, uh, it's another therapy. I'm always blank on that one. But anyway, uh, I was, you know, having to learn how to walk again. Had to learn how to talk, eat, everything, because I broke my jaw as well. So they had my mouth wired shut for a month. So you had to get those muscles back to where they are. That's why you probably hear me sometimes uh, stutter or needing to over enunciate because if I don't, I will slur. Um, so I do my best. And if I talk too fast, you will hear it. <laughs> so that's another thing. And um, But yeah, I woke up in the hospital uh, June 6th, actually being aware, shall I say, because my mom said I was, you know, still being able to do things before that time. Um, but when I was actually aware on June 6th, I just heard voices. And I'm like, well, what, what am I doing? Why is my mom in my room? And I'm thinking I'm in my bedroom. Well, I'm like, okay, I know why she, I know why my my phone, you know, ex-girlfriend is here, but why is my mom here? <laughs> you know? Like, this don't seem right. And then I hear them talking about like a motorcycle accident. I'm like, okay, who had a motorcycle accident? And then I was like, okay, this this dream that I'm trying to fake sleep in is not really happening, having too much good ending here. So let me wake up and ask questions. And so I, you know, go to open my eyes, but yet I don't see anything. And I'm like, okay. So I do a really hard blink as if that was going to change anything. <laughs> and uh, yeah, nothing, no difference whatsoever. Um, and then I'm, you know, trying to talk because like I told you guys, my mouth was wired shut. So I'm trying to talk and, you know, I go to speak and say, hey, what is this motorcycle accident you got to talk about? But yet all years, hmm. I'm like, what? And so they hear me, you know, trying to murmur and make a little fuss from where I was. And they come over to my bedside. They're like, wait, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? And I'm trying to say, hey, what is this motorcycle um, accident dream you guys are talking about? And my mom couldn't understand me. So she hands me a notepad. I'm like, really? You want me to write something knowing I can't see? <laughs> you know, and um, I'm frustrated. I mean, I'm I'm like really pissed off. And it's, it's one of those things where you're just like, this is all just happening to me so fast. And I'm still trying to catch up with what's going on. Um, so it's making me even more frustrated. And she's like, just write it down, just write it down. And so I wrote it down and she reads it. And then she turns and looks at me and says, well, that's not a dream, baby. And I said, what? Like I'm thinking to myself, what? What do you mean that's not a dream? And I sunk into my bed for the rest of that day. Um, and I didn't say anything else. Anybody else who came in that room, I don't remember you. Um, if you gave me something to eat, I don't know. Um, if you gave me water, I wouldn't even know. Like, I don't remember anything else from the rest of the day from when she said that. 
And so now I'm just stuck in the bed trying to figure out, well, how in the world did that happen? When I know for a fact that I am one of the safer riders out here, I don't do all that crazy willy popping and, you know, all that flashy stuff that you see bikers doing. I did none of that. And so I was trying to figure out what happened. So finally, the next day, June 7th, um, I finally just say, you know, hey, well, writing it on the pad, but I say, hey, what happened? And how, or how did this happen? And she finally told me, she's like, oh, it was a guy, and this is how I knew it was a Honda. It was a guy driving a, a silver Honda, I'm pretty sure it was. He pulled out in front of you. And, you know, she's telling me everything from the police report and all that good stuff, which is pretty, pretty crazy because the two cars behind him saw me, but they don't know how he did. And so, you know, it got really interesting to say the least about that part. But I, after that, you know, once I understood it wasn't my fault, I took off because I was like, okay, now it's game time. It's time to get my mind back into, I need to get myself out of here. I don't want to be in the hospital anymore. This bed sucks. <laughs> I'm tired of wearing this neck brace. <laughs> I want to learn how to walk again. You know, all of that stuff. I'm tired of this wheelchair. Get me out of it. Oh, you're saying I got to go through parallel bars in order to get out of this wheelchair? Okay, we need to go every day. <laughs> and they're like, we can't go every day. I'm like, listen, I want to go right now. So uh, that was, you know, part of it. Just wanting to get back into the swing of things because I'm an athlete um, and I have never been hurt, you know, never been injured. So the fact that, you know, this came about um, really took me from surprise, you know, and it made me, it, it, it saddened me because I'm not used to not being able to go do things that I want to do or, you know, having to wait on somebody, you know how I can get. Um, so moving forward, you know, finally being released from the hospital was like the best day of my life because not only was I leaving the hospital, but I was able to get back in my car. And this was the first time I had seen my car in two months. And I took great pride in my car. I, I, I used to, you know, work on it myself. And I had a 2014 Dodge Charger um, with a, you know, really, really nice. It looked really nice, ran really nice and sounded great. So that's to say the least. Um, and so I, you know, was so happy to leave the hospital. Once those doors open, those automatic doors open, and I could hear her purring, it was the best thing I had ever heard. <laughs> best thing I had ever heard in my life, you know, um, because, you know, your ears, they, they get really sensitive once you lose another sense. So I actually lost two um, mm -hmm. for a lot of people who don't know. Um, but I lost my eyesight as well as my sense of smell. So, mm. Yeah, and that was due to the reconstructive surgery done to my face. Um, I have a quick question. For yeah, go you. ahead. Go ahead. Two questions, really. So, you talked about like having never had injuries, and then having this horrible accident happen, and now you have to learn how to be dependent on other people. Yeah. How much of a struggle was it for you to learn that? Because I know with me, I've had low vision my entire life, yeah. um, and I have two chronic illnesses, and I've been like, God has been teaching me how to like <laughs> go from that, that spirit of independence to interdependence. But somewhere in between there, we struggle with that dependence aspect. 
what was that like for you? I will be a hundred percent honest. Um, you say, uh, how was it? I, I'm going to come back and say, how is it? Cause I'm still battling today. It was a trick uh, question. <laughs> man, listen, listen, uh, even today, you know, I, as I was journeying here and there, I mean, I've been some everywhere today and making it back for this interview was like the toughest thing I thought I was going to have to do. Um, but anyway, besides the point, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but it's also testing your patience. So it's a test of patience. And are you okay with relying upon others? Who can you trust to do what needs to be done? Um, and I've had to literally say, no, this is now a job for you. I, I have, I've been, I've, I haven't been able to, you know, with everything that's going on now, especially with the book release and all these different interviews I've had, I've had to do. I've literally had to hire someone mm. as a, an, an assistant because when you start to depend on family, they are either, you know, oh, I got this, or if you're not paying enough to them, then they're not going to want to do it. They're like, oh, I got something else to do. See, I don't need that. I need this to be like, okay, yeah, let me put it on my calendar. That way I ain't booking nothing else but you that day <laughs> and for that time period. That's what I need right now. And so I literally had to do that. I was like, I can't keep relying on the flakiness of humans. <laughs> and that's really what it is. You know, um, human, humane, the humane society <laughs> of the world um, has become so impatient. And even my pastor, he just preached a sermon uh, two Sundays ago. It was called Wait. That was the, that was the subject, Wait. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how um, we as humans, and he always likes to say, I ain't talking about nobody in here. <laughs> <laughs> but he always says, we as humans have become so impatient and yeah. we're so ready to do things, not now, but as he says, right now. <laughs> right now. So, and, I, and I called him after that sermon one day and I said, you know, Pastor, I am 100% there with you because I call it the fast food mentality. Mm -hmm. Talk about yeah. it. Come on now. I call it the fast food mentality. We want to order it and we want to go straight to the window and be handing it out the window and we driving off. Mm -hmm. That's not how everything is, is to be done in life. Some things take time. I just read another Facebook memory the other day where um, a pastor that I follow on Facebook said Jesus studied his uh, ministry for 30 years in order to become a minister. Now it takes 30 minutes is what he said. I Ooh. said, oh, you better Ooh. stop. I said, you better stop. You hurting feelings. You better hurt feelings out here. Stepping on toes. Come on now. Come mm. on now. And I, and I read that and I said, if that isn't the God honest truth, you can read it for yourself, you know, and mm -hmm. it's just the way it is. Like we, we just have that mentality. And so, you know, getting back to the subject, I, I do battle with it on a daily and it's just something that I have to grow to understand um, and be patient. Uh, I, I mean, my, my patience has never been more tested <laughs> in the, in the first 25 years of my life 
versus the last four years of my life. Mm. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm, t- I'm telling you. Like, it's been crazy. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really where it was at. And that's so good that you mentioned that about our society and patients because it's kind of twofold. Like, as people with disabilities, um, I find that the people that I know with disabilities, mm-hmm. we tend to, like, be those types of people like okay i gotta get this done despite having never mind the limitations now yeah. like i'm the kind of person like i forget sometimes what my limitations are because i'm like you know my brain wants to do more than my body does right. and i'm like i gotta get this done let's knock this out and then my body like uh no mm-hmm. and there's that aspect of impatience and then there's having to constantly communicate my needs to people And you can't control people's responses. (laughs) And a lot of the times uh, it becomes a literal opportunity to allow God to grow you up in that one fruit of the spirit alone. Never mind the other ones. That particular fruit of the spirit of patience. Like when you have a disability, it's something you really have to learn, especially if you're dependent on the government, you know, filling out paperwork. It takes a while and it's just the whole thing. So yeah. as I was reading your book and that specific part of your testimony where you talked about, imagine all of that being stripped away from you yeah. as someone who was athletic, who had all this going for him. Like I could relate because <laughs> one, I've been visually impaired my entire life, but also I developed chronic illness mm. over the span of my lifespan. And to see where I was in the past and how like a lot of that's been stripped away from me. Mm-hmm. It takes an emotional and psychological toll that if you don't, if you're not tethered to the source of peace, which is yeah. Christ, honey, <laughs> you're going to be rocked and shaken and you'll stay that way. But if yeah. you have, you know, that, that source of peace and a good support system, it can really help you. Yeah. So talk about after um, your rehab process um, at the hospital where you go from being at the hospital and now you have to adjust to being at home. Uh, going back home, first off, let me tell y'all, um, when I got home, <laughs> so they had to, of course, wheel me into the house um, because I was not, you know, able to like take steps fully on my own. Um, I was still using a parallel bars that when I left UNC, so they were, you know, going to keep me on like a walker for a little while. And, uh, but anyway, they will me into the room and, uh, it, back there until my, well, this is my grandma's house now. Cause I used to stay by myself in an apartment, but then I had to of course move out of there because that was on the third floor. There's no way I'm getting up there. <laughs> um, and so uh, they put me in, put me into the room and, you know, they, they put the, set the wheelchair locks and they're like, I'm like, is my bed right beside me? They're like, yeah, touch over to your left. And so I reach out and I'm smacking the bed, right? I'm like, oh, God, this is, <laughs> I said, oh, real bed. I mean, listen, Maya, I literally felt like I good, like just floated <laughs> from my wheelchair all on to that bed. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I ever touched the bed on the floor at all. I just floated. <laughs> so, once I got in that bed, I didn't want to move for the rest of the day. Um, I didn't want anybody to even come bother me because I hadn't really had any real sleep be- for the last two months because I had somebody to come in to check my vitals, give me medicine, 
poke me, you know, get vital. I mean, uh, get, you know, some kind of something out of me, stab me with a needle, you know, like to to take, I mean, to put some, um, there's some kind of shot for, for blood clots. And I'm sure you read all about that. <laughs> Uh, but it's some shot for blood clot. That is the worst. Okay. I said, listen, I don't want that shot. We need to go walk down the hall or something. I don't care what it takes, but I do not want that shot anymore. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, finally get home to get settled in that day. And, uh, I fell asleep that night or that day for the rest of that day. But somebody came in at night and woke me up. And I'm like, they're like, hey, I, I need you to eat something and take your medicine. I'm like, look, man, if you don't get away, <laughs> you don't go somewhere. I'm trying to finally sleep. <laughs> but, yeah, I took my medicine that night. And um, from then on out, you know, they had uh, in-home health coming to take care of me. So I had, I still had a, what's it, one? Yeah, I still had one um, wound on the back of my left hamstring. So, so my left hamstring, I still had a wound that they were coming every so often to change out. The uh, nurses were coming to change uh, the the bandage on it and you know clean it and everything. So they had to come do that every so often. I think it's like once or twice a week or something like that. And um, you know, I'm still learning how to. I, I can't get in the in the in the shit in the. Good Lord, slow down. In the tub because of the transferring back and forth. And so I'm having to do like bird baths in my bed um, and, you know, little wash-ups for those who don't know what that means. And then, you know, like I said, I, I was still learning how to eat. So I'm still really taking like the protein that they gave me from the hospital. And, and I was still using that, uh, what do you call it? The G-tube? Mm. Like they put I was still using that, man. Like, cause some days I didn't feel like using my jaws. Like, my jaw jaw muscles would get tired, and I wouldn't even feel like eating them. Wow. And that that's just what it was. I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like eating no more. So, um, you know, uh, I, my my mom finally got to the point. She's like, "You've got to get that thing out. It's not supposed to be in here that long." <laughs> I was like. Wait, nothing's wrong with it. Feels fine, <laughs> you know. Like, like I, don't, I don't see why not. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> I'll just leave it in there. <laughs> One day we'll see if we can get a biscuit down there. <laughs> but anyway, I uh, finally go to UNC and get it removed. And we were watching videos on YouTube. I gotta say this. Listen, don't always go based off of what you see or hear on like social media. Because those videos we watched about getting that G tube removed were old, uh -oh. and they 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 sounded very painful. Okay, it was like <laughs> a really loud popping noise. I'm not kidding. Like it's oh. like it's really loud popping noise. Like, I was like, what is that? What like did somebody uh -oh. just slap him? <laughs> like you know? <laughs> and you heard them slap it, like jump on the table that they were you know removing it out of. And, uh, you know, I go to UNC. I'm like, um, hey, how are you doing today? She's like, I feel pretty good. I'm going to be the doctor that's going to remove your G2. I'm like, um, yeah, about that. <laughs> Is this going to hurt? She was like, well, it shouldn't. But um, why, why do you ask? I was like, because all these videos I've been watching, that sounds like it hurt. <laughs> She's like, well, what kind of videos are you watching? And I told her exactly what I just told y'all. She's like, I think 
that might be the old methods and the old ways of doing it. Uh, we got like some new technology stuff now. It should just slide right out. And I was like, slide right up. Look, my slide right up. <laughs> Come on, man. And so she lit, she had a student with her. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm telling you, if this hurts, it's me and you, okay? <laughs> and I'm looking over there. It's going to be me and you. <laughs> but he was like, I, I'm just over here watching. I don't know what you're talking about. And so I'm holding my mom's hand and, you know, they're getting ready to remove it. And I'm just a talking, right? You know how you get ner that nervous talk? <laughs> That's what I was doing. I was doing that nerve. Well, you just don't stop talking. <laughs> you just keep talking, hoping that it'll be all over soon. And sure enough, she's like, well, it's out. I said, what? it's what? And I, you know, as if I could see, I looked down. <laughs> It's out. What do you mean it's out? She's like, yeah, it's out. I got it in my hand. And I was like, oh, I didn't feel anything. <laughs> she was like, I tried to tell you. And then, you know, she's, you know, closing it up. The the, of the hole that was there, closing that up. And that was the only thing I felt. And like, you know, you just, we our minds always prepare us for the worst, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, that was like one of the easier things I had done to me. <laughs> like so serious. That was like one of the easier thing I had done. But but yeah, so back to back, you know, getting back to the house. Um, you know, at first I started with, you know, physical therapy. They had me walking up and down the hallway of the house, um, getting up out of my wheelchair and going from one end of the hallway, sitting down to the other end of the hallway. And sitting out doing that back and forth for you know a couple of rounds until I was able to go all the way down and all the way back. And then they had me go all the way down, all the way back, like twice. And I'm like, okay, you're doing too much now, <laughs> you know. But uh, you know, it was just to show how much progress I was making, and that was a beautiful thing. I I, I remember it like it was yesterday. That was so so amazing to me how. I was able to really, you know, just get up, stand up by myself as well um, and get up and down that hallway one step at a time. And that's really what we got. We got to take things one step. It, it taught me my recovery process taught me so much about life. Other than, you know, the literal rehab and the gratefulness of being alive. It taught me about life. We have to do everything one step at a time. Mm. If you're making a cake, you take one step at a time, okay? You better use that batter. You better use the meat. <laughs> you better get that sugar. If you miss any of them steps, guess what? It ain't going to taste right. <laughs> I promise it won't taste right. <laughs> so you have to take everything one step at a time, you know? And um, I literally have been so, you know, so much more appreciative of the process and the journey of that and learning that fact. Um, because it's just like with my book, I, I had to take everything one step at a time because at some point in time, when you're trying to do things ahead of schedule, you're going to have to go back and make something up or fix something because you screwed up. Um, and so I'm grateful that I did not do that. I actually took it really slow by even enrolling into a self-publishing school to learn how to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, a lot of people would skip that. They would be like, nah, nah, I don't need all that. You know, <laughs> oh, no, that costs too much. I can't do that. No, man, take your time with stuff. And, and that's why I get so many good, so much good feedback on what I wrote, on what is published. 
And I can now say I, Kiwan Amy, am a self-published author. Hey, that is that's that's important that you mention that. Yeah. Uh, for several reasons, because something that I've learned as a musician, as an entrepreneur, um, someone who's working on producing, uh, writing, all those things. Something I've learned is you have to invest in your craft, whatever it is that God has put on your heart to do. You have to invest on it. Like we can, we'll go spend five hundred dollars on a cell phone, but we won't budge to take a singing class or do this. Exactly. And it's so important that we take not only our assignments and our gifts with joy, but we got to take it seriously because yeah. you never know what the the effort that you put into what God is giving you, how that's going to impact someone like your book. Like it impacted me, um, although I didn't have those experiences, I can relate to certain aspects because of things that I've been through. Yeah. But had the package not been put together mm -hmm. as masterfully as it was pieced together, mm -hmm. child, I would have been fumbling through all this book throughout this book. I would have been like, fam, I'm glad you published the book. Well, we need to talk about a few things. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk because I can't leave you hanging like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Speaking of the book, as always, uh, in the chapter depression set in towards mm -hmm. the end, I'm going to read a quote something that your uncle said to you and then okay. i want you to talk about it a little bit yeah. um it says first allowing me to pour out what is on my heart and listening to comprehend before responding really showed me where he was with this and this is referring to his uncle um second jumping out of his comfortable and cozy bed with my auntie showed me the true support i had from him as well as her lastly he told me basically to confront or embrace my issue in order to fully deal with it. These words of wisdom would take me a little while to grasp, but I eventually completely understood. Those were definitely life-changing words of encouragement and great advice, wouldn't you say? And I'd like for you to say or talk about what those words meant to you and what the process of like really fully receiving what he said took for you. Oh man. Um, first off that those are, you know, it's always, it's always interesting to hear, you know, back what you read, you wrote, mm -hmm. um, not because, you know, I wrote it, but because I was really just letting these words flow out of me. Um, it wasn't like, oh, I got to hit that. Yeah, I got to nail it. I got to nail it. No, this was everything that literally step by step, the, everything you're seeing is in order, basically, throughout the whole time I'm going through that process. And this is just me recalling it by memory. God brought all this stuff back to my memory. I wasn't like, oh, I'm amazing at this. You know, no, this was what he wanted in that book for people to catch on to like you're doing right now. Now, getting back to what you're asking me, listen. First off, just the fact that, like you said, he got out of his cozy bed because I'm sure he was winding down for the night. It was like eight or nine o'clock at night when I called him. Um, and my aunt, you know, she could have been like, no, you can just go tomorrow, you know, when you get off work or something. It could have easily been that way. But both of them agreed that Kiwan probably needs you. 
And it was uh, that that uh, that understanding now that I look back on it, because I didn't understand that at the time. I was all about me right then, you know, but now I understand that that was selfless. That's what you call selflessness. Okay, and that's the most beautiful thing anybody could ever have. Um, Not to say that you should not care about yourself, but you should at some point in time have that selflessness about you to be able to give um, to another because, I mean, we're supposed to give more than we receive anyway. Uh, But, I mean, good gracious, uh, him coming to pick me up, him first off answering the phone, (laughs) you know, because if he doesn't answer the phone, it doesn't happen. Um, Him coming over to the house was a different step that he took that actually made it even better because he could have simply just talked to me on the phone and gave me those same words over the phone. They might not have said in the same way, but he could have easily gave me those same words over the phone. And I would have, you know, I would have, you know, taken them in, you know, and be like, okay, I get it. You know, stuff like that. But when you show up to that, trying to think, he lives maybe 20, probably 20, yeah, probably like 20, 25 minutes from where my grandma used to stay. He used to stay. And uh, that right there, we, we didn't, he didn't just come to the house and sit with me. He came and picked me up and we rode like to carry. We didn't even stay in Durham. We rode out to carry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that right there, we just sat and talked at night. And he, the other thing he said, and, I, and I'm sure you probably read this part, but what he said that really set in on me was, Key, I'm surprised it took you this long. Mm-hmm. When, when like, I read that part, I was like, it hit me for some reason. Yeah, yeah. When he said that to me, I was like, I made this one face. I was like, huh? What do you mean? <laughs> like, you know, what do you mean? And he was like, because honestly, I thought this would have happened a long time ago. And I was like, oh, I guess. You know, I didn't know what this was. I was like, I guess. <laughs> he was like, Key, you're actually more strong. You're, you are stronger than you really th- know. And I was like, I guess I am. And that's when he started pouring those words into me. And so him saying for me to in order to you know get through this process i need to i need to confront and embrace the the issue and i was like well what is that and i'm just trying to think like what does that really mean and how is that going to help <laughs> like, you know you can always you know go stand in front of something but embracing it and i'm like what, and confronting this thing why do i need to do that i don't i don't want to be bothered with it but until you do that guess what and i write this in the book it's going to keep catching up to you Regardless of how you try to run, I don't care what you get on. You can take a bus, plane, car, or a train. It's going to catch you. And he's going to mess with you all day, all night. It's going to be worse than a little kid that you just don't like. Okay? <laughs> and so I I fully understood that because once you embrace it and confront it, you now know how to deal with it. You now know how to handle it. And now you can speak to that thing and say, you can get away from me now or I can handle you later. (laughs) And that's when that power comes in, you know, just having control over your life, get control back in your life. 
It's really yeah. what that does. So that's awesome. And I appreciate mm -hmm. you dropping those those nuggets, you know, you <laughs> and your <laughs> uncle. Because it's really important. Um, especially when you're you're making the transition from being able bodied right. to disabled or differently abled. Um, mm -hmm. or even if you've had a disability your entire life or a chronic illness or you've been through trauma in your life as a child or experienced trauma recently. Mm -hmm. uh, something I communicate and I tell like a lot of the people that I do life with is like the temporary sting, the temporary pain of unpacking the trauma, unpacking the mentality behind what you went through or uh, the loss, the grief that comes with illness and, and you know, being differently able that momentary pain is so worth it because once you get down the line into the future, you now realize like, okay, you begin the process of healing, which mm -hmm. sets yourself up to now live well, not mm -hmm. live to everybody's standards or live normal because there, there is no normal as mm -hmm. uh, my mentor would say, because we're all created uniquely in the image of God. So right. therefore there is no standard of normal in the kingdom of God. Um, so it sets you up to do that and have that perspective and heal and not be bitter. Whereas if you avoid that temporary pain, because it is painful, it takes a lot of energy, psychologically, mentally, spiritually, it takes energy to, to unpack and deal with your stuff. But if you avoid that process, you set yourself up for the baggage, mm -hmm. the weight, the heaviness, the psychological, emotional, and spiritual ramifications for avoiding that much needed process of lamenting and just being free and starting that healing process. Come on now. See, you could have easily said you're, you would have set it up for failure, but you broke that thing down. <laughs> you made people understand what you're really getting set up for. Yeah. You know what I'm and, and that's what, what people need. It, too many times we try to simplify things, but it doesn't get the full point across, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what people need. People need that detailed version so they can understand what's really happening. And yeah. I'm glad you broke it down like that. <laughs> no problem, fam. It's just, I think, and I say this probably every podcast episode to when I'm talking to my guests, and that's like, I firmly believe that having chronic illness or having a disability or whatever you face in life, a lot of the times it's very easy to view it for the things that you've lost. Mm -hmm. But if you allow God to take that, that moment of brokenness and to use it for his glory and to allow him to perform surgery on your heart and your mind, there is really no limit to the wisdom that you can gain, even in the storm. You know, Paul in uh, Second Corinthians asks God to take away his thorn. Right. How many times? Not one, not two, not, but three, three times. Mm -hmm. And what did God say to him? He said, my grace is sufficient mm -hmm. for you. And when I read that, like literally in the first episode of my podcast, I talk about this. There's two mm -hmm. responses that God does when we ask for him to remove something or deliver us from something or heal us. And that's either he will remove it completely mm -hmm. Or he will strengthen you in yeah. it and through it. Yeah. And that is the journey and the message that I'm I'm really learning to live and 
using to encourage people. Like just because things don't turn out the way that we plan, it doesn't mean that God can't use it and strengthen you in it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because what that brought to my, my memory that I always think about most of the time, um, somebody says something like that is you, you, what I hear it called as those sometimey Christians. <laughs> and what I mean by that is if it didn't get removed right then, they're like, oh, it's, it can't be real. He can't be real. He can't be. But what does it say? It says I give my toughest battles to who? Those who I know who can handle it. If he knows you can handle it, he's going to allow you to go through it. But if he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. Mm-hmm. You and know, that's what people forget. <laughs> you preaching, sir. Hey, I'm just saying that's what people forget. If he brought you to it, he will bring you through it. So, yeah. You know, it, it's just one of those things that you have to be reminded of um, time and time again. And we can't, you know, it, it, the Bible also tells us don't lean to our own understanding, but we try to anyway. I mean, it's, it's because it's the human mind. We tend to do things on our own. You can't do it and be successful like you're thinking you're going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, it, it's it's just one of those things. I, I, won't, I won't get on my soapbox right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'll go in. <laughs> the thing you articulating that, though, it, it brought something to mind. And it's mm-hmm. it comes back full circle to that idea of, you know, we think there's two extremes, independence or dependence, Mm -hmm. but God has called us to live interdependently. And that's why I think there's so much tension when we go through disability and chronic illness and those things, because we're having to unlearn what society tells us to to view suffering as, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're having to unlearn, you know, that idea of it's gotta be all me and shame on you if you got to get somebody else involved. But mm-hmm. we were designed, we weren't designed to be alone, first of all. Sure, exactly. <laughs> Second of all, we were designed to be a community with one another, uh, mm-hmm. which is why, like, part of my role as an advocate is helping loved ones of people with disabilities and chronic illnesses understand how to love their loved ones dealing with those things better. Because, you know, we live in a society where we hear, but we don't listen. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We rather lay hands and pray on pray for somebody instead of actually close our mouth and sit with them and ask them, "Hey, what do you need from me?" Because Come I guarantee on, you, you ask somebody with a disability or an illness with that, they will tell you. Come and on. I just believe that equipping people to understand that and how to love people who are going through that will also provide a reciprocal relationship of encouragement. Yeah. Um, to which I want to ask you, I know you to be someone who serves in church mm-hmm. faithfully. You have a relationship with your pastors. Yeah. Um, tell me what the role of Christ in your life and being involved and serving in church has played in your recovery and your oh. life now. Oh, man, that was a huge part. Um, <laughs> man, what? <laughs> can I can I just say First off, if it, I, I wasn't thinking of him in the beginning. Yes, yes, I will be honest, 100%. I can't lie to you uh, because he won't allow me to. Uh, <laughs> at first off, I was not thinking of him uh, when I was laid in that hospital bed. Again, what did I do? 
I went all to all it was all about me, self. Why did this happen to me? And you know from my uh motivational speech, I was always talking about why me. But then I had to think about and he brought this to my attention. That's when he came in the room. He showed up in the room, okay. <laughs> and he said, Well, why not you? And I said, Uh in my room. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I thought everybody was gone. <laughs> and then I had to realize whose voice that was. And that, that showed me how far separated I was from him at that time. And when he said, why not me? I was like, well, what you mean? Why not me? <laughs> and, you know, I started questioning him and you know, you ain't, supposed, you know, you ain't supposed to do that. <laughs> and then I had to think about it. I was like, well, because he started bringing back to my memory the things that I used to do with either my eyes closed or in the dark. He's like, you do stuff all the time in the dark. You you play the drums with your eyes closed sometimes. So why you need to see? You know how to do this. You can handle this. This this can be handled by you, and I know it can because I made you. And that right there. Listen, my, I ain't have nothing else to say to him for the rest of the day because he proved his point, <laughs> you know, and uh, that that, you know, going back to what, you know, faith was for me. I mean, we might not be able to see it and fully touch it sometimes, but when when it's there, my God, you know, it's there. OK. Um, it's not going to be like a guessing game. You know it's there. Um, and it shows up in a way that nobody else can understand for you. You understand it in a different way than everybody else. Because like you said earlier, we're all different. We're all unique and made uniquely. Um, so we're not going to experience everything. Everybody's not going to experience everything the same way. Like the way you read the book, might, somebody else might read it differently and get different things out of it. You know, so I always love to hear feedback from others because they grab something that somebody else did. And it's just one. Of, that's, also, that's why I'm always like, if you read the book, please leave me some some feedback on Amazon. And it's not always about, you know, the, oh, I'm trying to get my book to blow up. No, I want to see what you grab from it. Your personal view, your personal opinion. Because that means something to me. Hey, um, I'm gonna be yeah. honest, Kiwan. Yeah. I don't leave reviews on Amazon, but when I finished the book last week, I left the review. I was like, I right, somebody got to read this, okay? Oh, yeah, actually, I just read yours yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I read it yesterday. I was like, oh my read my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wanted to read it before I talked to you because yeah. I didn't wanna like I said before, I didn't want to ask you typical questions. Mm -hmm. Again, it's conversational yeah. um and i wanted to make sure it was like you know fresh for you as well as everybody watching and for myself true, true. along the lines of kind of what we've been talking about um i've read i've been reading this devotional okay best devotional probably i've read in a while and it's called chronic illness walking by faith by esther smith it's a 31 day um devotional mm -hmm. and she has this line in here and I thought I would share because it, it definitely pertains to this. She says, 
God does not want the things that you could be doing if you were healthy or if you didn't have a different ability. All he wants is you. He wants your faith, not your works. He wants your company, not grand feats. He wants to get to know you. And this is something that you can do no matter what your daily life with illness or disability looks like. That's beautiful. <laughs> it is. And it was, you ever read something, especially the word, you should be like, oh, oh, my toes, my edges. Ooh, oh, Lord. <laughs> while you were reading, because I know you couldn't see me, but while you were reading, I wasn't smiling at first. And then I heard something. I was like, I just put this smile on my face. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and even as I read that, it challenged me mm -hmm. um, because when it comes to losing what we would consider to be normalcy or, or able-bodiedness, it, it, we view it as a loss, but seldom do we consider the fact that God can take what we lost and he can use us with what we have. I mean, he took Gideon from a 32,000 sized army down to 300 and still gave him the, the anointing to beat their enemies. Mm -hmm. Like we think just because we've lost X, Y, Z that he can't use us with what we have left. And yeah. then on top of that, restore us with what we have. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. You know, it's it's kind of impressive uh, because mm -hmm. I was thinking about this. I think it was either yesterday or Saturday, but I just went to this mega church, and you know, <clears throat> they have you know it's really huge. It was big. I was down in Fayetteville, um, and they they had you know the drum set mic'd up and everything. You know, really nice sound system and everything. So. I was listening to it, and you know me, I'm a drummer. I also am learning the piano, uh, but drummer for 22 years. And I'm all over it. I'm like, everything he does, I'm just like, oh, that's so, oh, it's, oh my God. But, you know, and it's in the mic, so I can't do nothing but hear it. And um, then I get back to my church on Sunday, and I play the drums, and I'm like, I'm, do, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, the touch that he had on that drum set, as far as that miking ability, I applied the same concept without the mics, and you got the same feel. Mm. So whether it's amplified or not, do you have that feel? Do you have that touch? And that thing's, I don't know, it just spoke to me in a different way. I was like, you know, I'm always talking about I want to play on a mic drum set. How about I learn how to play this drum set without mics first? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like let me just focus on what I got going on right now. Cause I'll be done got up on a mic drum set and be done messed them up, you know, messed something up, you know, <laughs> and not knowing what's going on. But you know, I mean, he he puts things in my spirit that, that minister me, minister to me in different ways. And um I just thought about that thing. I was like, you know, that that drum kit might have been amplified through mics and the sound system, but what I took from all of that miking, even with all that, you know, I mean, the, the kick drum, the bass was booming. But what I like to hear more about that whole thing 
was the soft touches he was doing on the cymbals. I was listening more. I was keying more in on that stuff than I was on that bass drum. And that's why I was like, oh, I like the finesse he's doing. That's beautiful. Melodic. And that that was just something that I really picked up on, you know, just I don't know my 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 uh I guess you could say ear or you know sound or yeah, I guess it's ear quality for what I'm listening to is a whole different feel now. Yeah. The way I listen, you know. So and that's that's it's really cool that you bring that up. Um for two reasons. Like People don't get it when I say this, but God, in his, in the way that he fashioned the human body together, mm-hmm. whenever you lack something, there's other parts of you that compensate for that. So I lack, i.e., you know, acute vision. Mm-hmm. So my hearing is way like better and my sense of smell and taste are like way better to a fault mm-hmm. sometimes it'd be like god i don't want to i hear i hear the ringing of the microwave three houses down i don't want to hear that <laughs> but it just speaks to how he he provides in ways sometimes that we don't even recognize and to your point about hearing those soft touches on the symbols it speaks to how you know, and this applies to anyone, not just anyone with a disability or chronic illness, but what can we do with what we have? You know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times we may see mega churches. I won't name anyone specifically, right. you know, but mega churches and, and certain bands or even certain people on social media. We see what they have and what they're they're using, what they're leveraging, the support they have, the funds they have to delegate mm-hmm. uh, different aspects of what they do. But mm-hmm. we don't but we we then turn to what we have on our plate, what God has given us, and we say, oh, this ain't sufficient. When really, he's not looking for us to be um, the next so-and-so. He's looking for mm-hmm. us to be who he's called us to be. Exactly. And that requires using what's in front of us. Sometimes I'll be like, God, I could really use uh, this, that, and the other. Or I really want this. I want to be out of this season. And then I immediately I, I get convicted and I think about it like, wait a minute, what am I doing in this current season? What mm-hmm. am I doing right now? You know, yeah. people like to come up and pray for me when they hear my story. And I'm like, I appreciate it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get what the heart behind it, but understand that I'm not viewing it as, oh, what was me? God heal me or nothing. I'm not going to do anything with my life. I'm viewing right. it as what could I do in this season where I have two chronic illnesses and a disability? What can I do in this season? How can I steward those things? How can I learn to live well with that? And if healing comes, praise God. Yeah. But I know that I didn't waste this season either way. Right. And that's a good pivot to one of my chapters, um, Empathy versus Sympathy. Um, I wrote that chapter because I didn't want sympathy. I wanted you to empathize with me. I wanted you to sit there like we were talking, like you were talking about earlier and listen to what I had going on. Not necessarily for you to respond, but for you to understand. And that's when that's empathy. Now, sympathy, I would look for that if you if somebody just passed away and you were trying to be like, oh, I feel for you. 
so you can't do that for me <laughs> in my condition. So let's empathize together. How about you understand what I'm going through right now versus trying to feel what I'm going through? That's two totally different things. And trust me, I know. <laughs> um, but that goes back to what you were saying about hearers versus listeners. Um, you know, I used to say that quite often and people didn't understand what I meant by that. I would say, yeah, you heard me, but you didn't listen to what I said. And they were like, how can I do it? I'm like, You're, she was like, I heard exactly what you said. Yes, you heard me. I hear the cars going down the street. That don't mean I'm listening for how they sound. And then she's like, what? You know, <laughs> I'm like, see, that's what I'm talking about. If I'm literally listening for this car, I might be like, okay, that's a four-cylinder. That might be a V8. Oh, that could even be a truck. I was listening for that sound versus, oh, that was a car. Would you that agree was, with me? Yeah. If I said that hearing is passive, but yeah. listening is active. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I got my calendar going on. That's oh, my, all right. That's my virtual assistant. <laughs> hey, do your thing. It's all right. Yeah. So um, she's going to go off one more time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but back to what we were saying, uh, the, the listening deal, man, I'm telling you. So with that word, I don't know how much you pay attention to this, but I read this somewhere. The same letters that spell listen spell silent. Look at it. Look at those letters. The same letters that spell listen spell silent. Now, if you're not being quiet or being silent, you could not be listening to me. So everybody who says they're listening to you and they're trying to talk over you, booyah, you can shoot them down right there. <laughs> because they're not quiet. They're not listening because they're not silent. The other thing is God gave you two ears and one mouth. So that you can listen twice as much as you talk. Mm. But people don't listen to that either. They don't know. They're like, well, I just got two years so I can hear but No. <laughs> You're supposed yeah. to listen twice as much as you talk. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think <clears throat> in many ways, you know, when I think about these things, I always like self-analyze, meaning like, okay, where am I coming short? in the area of listening and all that. And I think because I'm in a position on the daily where like I know my needs and like, honestly, anybody who's dealing with anything, nine times out of 10, they don't want your advice in that moment. They just want your presence. Um, and so I've just, you know, been aware, like how can I be a peaceful presence or a comforting presence in someone else's time and need because I know that in my daily life this is something that I know I desire and I know that it is a basic human need that God placed in us to have community and a lot of that means just just having your presence being there um, not to fire advice not to fire home remedies not to you know recommend doctors look Anybody got a disability or chronic illness? We got plenty of doctors. Trust me. Okay. Yeah. Last thing we need is any more medical advice. We want <laughs> your presence. 
So yeah, that leads me to my last question. Okay. I ask this to every single body, okay, <laughs> that comes on the podcast. And that is what in life has helped you to become better and not bitter? It could be more than one thing. I don't have an expectation. Go ahead. What has caused me to be better and not bitter? First off, the simple fact that I'm still here because I was told by my family numerous times that the doctors told me they were told them that I wasn't going to make it. They didn't know. They had no idea. No percentage, nothing. They were just doing surgeries. And so I literally spoke I had a a follow-up appointment with the doctor who did my spinal cord surgery um, at UNC, the actual doctor who did it. And um, he came in the room finally, you know, me and my mom just sitting there chatting it up. And uh, I'm sitting on the bed now, not in a wheelchair, none of that. I'm just sitting on the edge of the bed. And uh, he walks in and he just kind of stands at the door. <laughs> My mom told me this after that appointment. And he, he just kind of stands at the door. And uh, I'm like, somebody there? And he's like, hey, yeah, it's me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just a little, little shocked. And I was like, uh, what happened? And he's like, I, I didn't expect you to be sitting up on this bed. <laughs> I thought you were going to be here in the wheelchair. And I was like, And I just started smiling, you know, I couldn't do nothing else but smile because that told me where his mind was about me. He had a student with him, too. It's funny how I keep seeing all these students with a lot of my medical professional um, doctors now. But anyway, so I was like, you know, they need to see it as well. Um, But he was like he told me to my face now at this appointment. He said, to be honest, and I think I might have wrote this in my book. But he said, to be honest, when I when they called me in there to do the surgery on your spinal cord, I didn't I was just following protocol. I didn't think you would make it. And that right there is where everything sunk in for me. Man. I said that right there shows you who has all power in their hand. Mm. Mm-hmm. The doctor doesn't have the final say. Who has the final say? The song says Jehovah has mm-hmm. the final say. And I, I could not be, be in more agreement with anybody if they use that song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it does, and, and that's where every, like literally that was the day one where everything sat in for me because I told, I said, Hey, you want me to stand up for you? I mean, I was going, I was showing off what God <laughs> had done for me. Okay. That was all nothing but God, man. And so I had to show it off. And I stood up strong, proud, looked like looked like I should have been modeling or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it was just one of those things, man. And that's where it all set in for me to turn it turn it around. You know, it, it was time for me to, you know, I, I never I never asked for a pity party. I didn't want it. Ain't no table table for one of a pity party over here. No, mm. <laughs> don't want it. Can I go over there where the steak is? <laughs> yeah, some of that good eating. Okay, um, and and that yeah, that was it, man. I I, I really just 
I could not stay in that uh, doubtful mindset that this is life. You know, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. This is life. What's what's going to come out of this? Um, I'm never going to be able to do what I thought I was going to be able to do. Like you were talking about earlier, you know, I wanted to, you know, fly planes. Oh, gosh, I'm never going to be able to do that now. You know, stuff like that. You know what? Actually, I could go fly a plane. I would just need somebody excited to be accompanying me because they have two controls up there. And so it's not impossible. With God, all things are possible. But it's about how you change your mindset to think about it. Well, you preached. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let the let the doors of the church open. Okay. <laughs> On that note, fam, I would like for you to tell everybody where they can reach you, what projects you're working on. If anything, go ahead. Yeah, for sure. And um, especially for those who are looking to get the book, don't focus on why me. Like I said, you can catch it on Amazon, Kindle. Uh, it's an audio book as well on Audible as well as Apple. Um, and for those, please, if you read the book, please leave me a review um, so I can read your feedback. I love reading feedback. And if you want to make it even pers- even more personable, you can email it to me. Um, I created an email address for those specific, you know, fan or, you know, just that feedback. And it's author at gmail.com. So that's author at gmail.com. Um, and for those who want to follow me on social media, I have Facebook and that's Amy. Um, as far as Twitter, a, at Amy Motivation uh, for my Instagram. It's story underscore of success. So you, you listen, hit me up. Let me know who you are. If you want to give me a shout out, whatever you want to do, it, DM me. My DMs are working <laughs> for those people <laughs> who think I'm I'm a superstar. I'm not there yet. Okay, I'm not going <laughs> to cut my my, uh, my DM stuff off. Y'all can y'all can DM me. Tell me where you saw me. Tell me anything and what did you liked about the interview, all of that good stuff. What you like about the book? It's I'm, I'm all ears, okay? Um, I really appreciate any of the support that's coming my way. Love you guys, and Maya, I appreciate this opportunity. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you coming on here and just gracing us with your presence and your testimony and, and your humor and all those wonderful <laughs> things. Uh, I look forward to doing more collabs, you know, uh, in, in different areas with you, man. And on that note, y'all, live each day to become better and not better. And I will see you on Thursday. <laughs>